Well, I was doing pretty good with the video until that line came, love shares the last cookie. <laughs> that would be hard. So here we are today. We go back to the school of love, and school is back in session now. Let me just remind you of last week, if you were here, lesson number one, we saw that Paul was teaching us that nothing is more important than love. Absolutely not one thing is more important than love. But so here we are now, and we go back to the book of love, 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to wrestle today with that really all-important question of, so what does that mean when Paul says that we have to love one another? What, what does that look like? Now, to help us get started, I'm just going to ask you to think about your own special love song. I don't mean church song. I mean like when you were dating, when you were courting, when you, when you drive down the road and the radio's on and you hear this song and you look and you go, oh, honey, that's our song. Think about that song, whatever it might be, and now think about the most, the most popular or your favorite line from that song. Think about it, whatever it might be. Now I'm going to ask you to share that line from that favorite love song. All right, who wants to go first? What's your love song? Come on. Don't be bashful, don't be shy. What was it? You're like, well, I don't know. See, this is the generation gap right here. Because I grew up in the, you know, the flower power, power, uh, power thing, make love, not war. And, you know, we, we, in the 60s, we were all singing about love. And so we just love songs everywhere. Anybody just think about a love song? Yeah. Yeah. Love me tender. I'm not going to do it. The Elvis thing. Love me tender. Love me deep. Okay. Who, who else? Come on. We got the, the, the pump has been primed. Started it. Thank you. Who else? White bird. What, who said that? White bird. Oh, is that way back? I think I'd go back even before that, way back. White Bird, it's a beautiful... Okay, thank you for sharing. Who else? Woo, Sonny and Cher, I got you, babe. Um, yeah, Woo, I like that. Anybody else? Come on, I need at least one more. Come on. I think we're alone now. <laughs> Now you're talking. <laughs> I think we're... Man, that's Tommy James and the Shondales. You've been listening to Grandpa's music, haven't you? I can tell, man. I think we're alone now. I love that. That's cool. Anybody else just got a burning one to share? Yeah, so, so um, when you think of love from a... Um, a cultural, popular mindset. It, 
the way the culture views love is, I think, reflected a lot in, in the popular music that you, that you hear. Um, and I know that, like, way back, like, 100 years ago when I was growing up and dating and stuff, you know, the Carpenters, anybody ever hear the Carpenters? I mean, that's my wife's favorite, favorite uh, one of her favorite little groups was Karen Carpenter um, singing about what love is like. And, and when you listen to secular music, uh, the, as they sing about love, uh, you, get, you get this idea that, yes, love is a wonderful thing, but love is a starry-eyed, romantic kind of thing. You know, um, this idea that uh, Karen Carpenter, why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near, just like me? Yeah, uh, okay, that's enough. Uh, so it's this, it's this romantic version of, of love, this emotional kind of thing uh, 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 about love. Well, the good news is that when you read 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is not talking about that kind of love. And I know that the first time that dawned on me, I was relieved. Because I, 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 I had, previous to that, had this idea that when Paul was writing the book of love, 1 Corinthians 13, that what he was saying is, I have to feel a giddy, powerful, positive emotion about everybody. And I'm like, I just can't do that. So let's start with that. That's the good news. It's, it's, not, it's not like that at, at all. And so the question really does become, what exactly is Paul talking about when he writes this book of love? And, and what does that look like when we talk about, in terms of Paul's framework here, that we, have to, that we have to love one another. What, what is that all about? And of course, that starts with correctly understanding the meaning of the word love that Paul is using here. Now, we might as well just say right up front that love is a slippery word. And by that I mean it's hard to nail down the meaning of the word love and if I would just, if we take a moment, pass the microphone around and say, hey, give us your definition of love, you'd be like, okay, and then somebody else would be like, okay, okay. We get a lot of different ideas of what love is like, uh, or if you, if you do this, say, use the word love in a sentence. I love my dog. Is that what Paul's talking about here? I love pizza. Oh yeah, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, you know, or, or is it this idea that, again, that's so very popular in, in our culture, and has been for a long time, that this starry-eyed romantic kind of love, that when I fell in love with my spouse, I just, the, like the fairy goddess came and sprinkled moon dust in my eyes, and I couldn't help falling in love with you out of my mind, out of control. Is that what Paul is talking about here? And the answer is no. So if you've been around the church for any length of time, you might know that there are three Greek words that can be translated as the English word love. And so 
Let's just take a minute and just talk about each of them, and some of this might be familiar to you. Uh, the first uh, Greek word is eros, which is a, like a sexual love, a, is a physical uh, attraction for one another, and that's for sure not what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, there's another Greek word and that we translate as the word love, and it's the word phileo, uh, which means brotherly love. And maybe right away you think of the city named Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The front part of that name for that city is built on this Greek word, which means uh, brotherly love, sisterly love that we have for, for one another. Paul's not using that sense when he writes the book of love. But the third word, and uh, some of you again will know it, it's the word agape. And uh, it's, we have come to call it the highest form of love. We call, it, we call it divine love, Christian love. It's that word that Paul is using here in 1 Corinthians 13. And so the question becomes, so why did Paul use that word? I mean, he had several perfectly good Greek words that he could have used as he wrote about the book of love. And uh, we, we uh, can only answer that question by looking at the definition of that word. And the definition of that word is that it's a love that chooses to love others. It's a love by choice. So when Paul writes the book of love, he's not saying that you have to have an ooey-gooey, wonderful feeling towards everybody on the planet. He's saying that you have to exercise your will, and you have to make the decision that you're going to love everybody. So this is not at all about emotions. And again, uh, I'm breathing a sigh of relief. Because there's a lot of people on the planet that I'm not going to be ooey-gooey towards. I'm not. In fact, there might be, no, not my, there are people on this planet that I'm just not, you know. But I can exercise a will to love them. And again, this is so very contrary to culture, the culture's idea of this kind of love that is the fairy dust sprinkle kind of thing. Um, now, I'm gonna, I want to, on purpose, switch for just a few moments from preaching to meddling. Is that okay? I mean, I, I know I'm doing that. I know I'm going meddling and not preaching, and, but uh, if you don't like it, I'm going to do it anyhow. Just for a little bit. Just don't get excited, just for a little bit. But when you, when you are determined to think of love as magic fairy dust and determined to say that when I met my spouse and we were dating, I fell in love with her and I couldn't help myself. I fell in love with him and I couldn't help myself. It's like St. Valentine came and he had this bow and he pulled back and let go of the arrow and just shot me in the heart. And I'm just, oh, I'm helplessly in love. So if, if that's the idea, I fell in love 
against my will, then the logical conclusion is I can fall out of love against my will because you have no power. You're powerless. That's why you fell in love. I just... And see, this is why one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we have so much divorce today is because a spouse will say to the other member in the marriage, I don't really know what happened. It's beyond my control, but I've just fallen out of love with you and I've fallen in love with somebody else. I, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. I've just fallen out of love with you. And that's a bunch of baloney. Because that's, that's not how it is. And remember, when, when you were married, you stood in front, probably, of a group of people, and you took these solemn vows to love, cherish, and honor till death do us part in sickness and health and all of that stuff. That's the kind of love Paul's talking about here. It's exercising the will, and you make that decision. That's a pretty good example of the kind of love that Paul is talking about here is that you make this decision, you, you exercise your will, and you choose to love that person, even if, now I'm not talking, I'm, I'm going back to preaching now. Okay, I'm done meddling. But you choose to love that person even if they're ugly. See why I said I'm going back to preaching? And you choose to love that person even if they have deeply wounded you. And it's easy to see why this is the highest, we have come to call agape love, the highest form of love. It's a love that makes the decision to love even the unlovable. And maybe this is why we've come to call agape love divine love. Because guess what? While we were yet sinners... While we were yet unlovable, God loved us. He made the decision. And he looked down and saw me and saw my rebellion and my ugly life. And God said, man, he's a mess. But I'm going to still love him. It's the highest form of love. It's this exercising of the will. And again, so contrary to how we think of love today. Well, let's, let's read the text. Reading from the book of love, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, there's a lot going on in those verses and a lot of words and 
concepts, I think, that we could really talk about. But I, I don't know if you caught one thing that's outstanding in these verses that at least captures my attention. And it's this. It's that when Paul describes real love, agape love, when he describes love, he uses 15 verbs and no nouns. Now think about that for a moment. Um, It tells me that love is best thought of not as a feeling, but as an action. And so many times we, we, we say, um, oh, I have love for you. That's wonderful. But the highest form of love, the love that loves others by choice, is best demonstrated, best proven, best exemplified by action. Fifteen in three verses, Paul describes love using 15 different words, and they're all adjectives. Love is best seen not as something you grab onto, but it's best seen as something that you do. That love is better seen as an action. And if you, if you want any kind of biblical support for that, you have to look no further than the story of the Good Samaritan. And think about the guy that was all beat up there along the side of the road and couldn't fend for himself, and the religious people walked by. The religious elite of that day walked by, and the text, the text said they, they saw him. But they kept on walking. Jesus doesn't lift them up as a model to follow. It wasn't enough for them to like see the need and maybe feel sorry for the person. Or... But the one who saw and then had compassion and then actually went out of his way. Action. That's the one that Jesus lifted up as an example to follow. You know, the truth of the matter is, you've heard this phrase before, talk is cheap. I say this really, really carefully, but sometimes it seems to be the cheapest in the church. Not always, once in a while. And I, I, I say that because I've been in the church my whole life, all these decades now, long time. And I've seen so many times when people have shared a need I opened their heart, and somebody says, oh, sorry about that. I'll, I'll pray for you. As a matter of fact, I've done that myself, and then never did anything, never called them on the phone, and never really demonstrated love. I just said, oh, yeah, oh man, sorry about what you're going through. I'll pray for you. Um, or, may, or maybe, maybe as a Christ follower, we've been uh, at the store, we've been to the three bears, and we see somebody we haven't seen in quite a while. Hey, I haven't seen you since we graduated high school, and we talk to them, and you come to find out they're just going through 
Their, their life has turned sour and things are terrible. And I mean, life is a mess for them. And, and then we say, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm sorry, sorry about what you're going through. And trust me, I care about you. And we turn and walk away and never give it another thought. Never do anything. Never try to help meet their need. And I'm not up here like beating on you because I'm talking about myself too. I mean, I, I, I've done that. Talk, talk is cheap. But Paul is suggesting by using these 15 verbs to, to describe what real love is, that real love is costly. Real love means that we get involved, that maybe we get our hands dirty. And again, if you want another little story to stick in your mind about this truth, it's, uh, you, you can just point to the lady who had that big box of alabaster oil and just broke it over Jesus and poured that oil out that was worth, what was it worth, a year's wages, something like that? People are like, what? What are you doing? But it's this all-consuming love, this love by choice. And she poured it out. Real love gets involved in the lives of other people. Real love is costly, and I think we see that again and again. And really all you have to do is look no further than the cross. The love of Jesus there on the cross for you and for me. Now, with that kind of thinking, I'm hoping that verses 4 to 7 start to make a little more sense to you. Think about it. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth is filled with people that aren't operating at the highest level of love. And so when Paul writes about love to them, you can be sure that when he says something about love, it's because they're doing the opposite. Else why would he admonish them about love in a certain way? And so, for example, when you look at verses 4 to 7, you can be pretty sure that their love is not patient. You can be pretty sure that their love for each other in the church is not kind, that their love for each other is rude, uh, that their love for each other keeps records of wrong and has a tally sheet and knows how many times they've been hurt. But here's the other side of that. When you look at what Paul is saying to them about love, if you look at those verses and replace the word love with Christ, you have a really good description of what Christ is like. For example, if I go to verse 4, Christ is patient. Christ is kind. Christ doesn't envy. Christ doesn't boast. Christ is not proud. Christ isn't rude. Christ is not self-seeking. Christ is not easily angered. The highest form of love is found in Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, and how he lived his life and poured out his life. See, this is what we need in the church. And I mean, I don't mean this church necessarily, but the big church, I mean with the big C, I mean everywhere across our country that where there is worship today, uh, we, need, 
We need people to fill those churches up that have made the decision that we're going to love one another regardless of what's going on. And if somebody says something that hurts my feelings, well, just too bad. I'm going to love them anyhow. (laughs) And if somebody says something mean about me to somebody else, and then somebody else comes and tells somebody else, and somebody else comes and says to me, hey, I think you ought to know what they're saying about you. Then we love the whole bunch anyhow. (laughs) Because we made the decision. We're just going to keep on loving no matter what. Now, the first couple of phrases there in verse 4, let me read them. Love is patient, love is kind. Those two phrases, I think, sets the stage for the rest of those verses that we've been looking at today. And again, remember, this is love by choice, not some sort of emotional feeling. This is an act of the will, and with God's help, we can choose to live like this. And this is the answer to the question of how I can love my enemies, how I can love my ex-spouse, how I can love that friend that took a dagger and stabbed me in the back, how I can love that preacher that failed me, and how I can love that dad that did all those things to me. The answer to that question is, how can I love them? The answer is, by choice. You just make the decision. And then when you make the decision, even though it might be incredibly difficult, incredibly hard, then we go back to the text. And once you make that decision, then this is what your love is like. It's not envious. You make the decision. Your love isn't envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not easily angered because you made the decision. It keeps no records of wrong. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And when we choose to live like this, guess what? God is going to help us. Because I don't know about you, but I can't live like that in my own strength. I'm not that good of a person. (laughs) Got to have God's help to love like this. And so then, when you start to love like this, then you look at the rest of the verses. Then we will always protect. That kind of love will trust and hope and persevere. And that's how I want the love of God to be lived out in me. Exactly the way Paul is talking about there in these verses. So it's an act of the will It's not an emotion. And if you make, when you make the decision that you're going to live like that, then I really believe that God is going to help you and you can love anybody on the planet no matter what they've done to you, even if you have to grit your teeth. Thank you. And you may have to. No, not, no, that's wrong. You will have to. Because I'm just pretty sure there's somebody on the planet that just rubs you the wrong way. And they've hurt you, maybe hurt you deeply. But the good news is, Paul, God, is not asking you to be all giddy 
emotionally involved and in love with them. Because I don't know how, how I could do that. But it's that we, we are being asked to say to ourselves, this is what God wants me to do. And with his help, this is how I'm going to live my life. Maybe some of you, as you think about your own life, maybe you've chosen to live like the people in the church at Corinth, and that's not a good thing. You keep records of wrongs. You're easily angered. You're rude. You're not kind. But there might be some here that have said, I've made the decision. But I'm just going to love everybody on the planet, and God is going to help me. And maybe you've discovered that he has helped you. That's been my experience in my own life. And uh, I talked last week about my dad. I'm not going to belabor that, but there are some folk that are here for the first time. I'll just take a few minutes and just, just kind of bring that on the table because it, it bears to what I want to say. That my, when I was growing up, my dad would, did a lot of mean, bad things. He was an alcoholic, he was a drug addict, and he sexually abused me. Um, and I remember nights when, as a junior high school kid, I slept with a knife under my pillow because I was sure dad was going to kill me. Uh, maybe I got that idea because mom wanted me to help her hide the shotgun shells because she was convinced that dad was going to shoot all of us in the middle of the night with his gun. I mean, that's how, that's how I lived. And I shared with you last week that I remembered the day when my love for my dad died. You know, dad was, he was dead to me. Not only did I not care whether he lived or died, I hoped that he did. I prayed that he would get in his truck and be killed and just die. The pain was, was that much. And so that's, that's how I lived my life and for years. Then God pulled a little trick on me. He called me to ministry. And so I got out to seminary, and um, I'm wrestling with all this. I'm in my mid-20s by now. I hadn't really talked to my dad and called my dad on the phone because he's dead to me. He did those things to me. I want nothing to do with him. He can he just, you know, it's like he didn't exist. So there I am out there at seminary studying the good book. They got all these little verses in here about loving others. So I begin to think about it, begin to pray about it. And God began to work on my heart about my relationship with my dad. I'm like, God, I'll love everybody on the planet, but not that man. No, not that man. And then the more resistant I was to the idea, the more the Holy Spirit began to work on me. He's like, come on, man. You got to deal with this. So one afternoon, Jackie was at work. My kids were in school. I decided it was time to confront the past. <laughs> so I picked up the phone and called my dad. Hadn't talked to him in I can't tell you how many years. My dad was shocked. I could tell when he answered the phone that I called him. 
And I start to talk to him, and I'm starting to cry. <laughs> I'm starting to weep. And I said, Dad, I want you to know, I haven't been in contact with you, and I'm really sorry. That's not the way a son ought to be. I failed you as a son. Would you forgive me? I want you to know I, I, I love you. I love you. Exercising that will, making that decision. Of course, he was surprised, and I couldn't tell that he cried or anything. He stuttered and muttered and said something about not being the best father on the planet. And I'm thinking, you think? And then he changed the subject. I mean, that was it. I had all these visions of him, you know, breaking down on the phone and telling me how, how much he loved me and how he had all these struggles and how he just, but, you know, and I, I never got that. But what I did get was that I got set free from the past. And I had this feeling of being obedient to God. And I, and I could go to bed at night and say with a clear conscience, I didn't have one single thing against anybody on the planet because I'm choosing to love them. Now, that's with God's help. I'm not good enough to do that in my own strength. Not that good of a person, even though I'm rather handsome. <laughs> I'm not that, uh, you know, I, I needed God's, God's help to do that. And so I, I exercised my will. I called him on the phone, and I didn't get all this stuff from him that I had imagined. But I did what God wanted me to do. And uh, so I, I gritted my teeth, and I said to myself, I'm going to love him no matter what. And so... I exercised my will, and pretty soon, the hatred went away. Pretty soon, I could tolerate him. Pretty soon, I could, I could talk about him. Pretty soon, I almost started to like him. He died all alone um, because of all the bad choices he had made. He had a little bitty, tiny house, tiny, tiny house that he had rented, and they found him dead on the floor three days after he died, died all alone. But here's what I want to tell you, that back in those days before I made the decision to love him, not only did I pray that he would be killed in a car wreck, Sounds awful to say it. I wish he would go to hell. I, I, mean, I mean the bad place. I mean, I just, as a kid, I was just like, it, the pain has got to stop somehow. I prayed that. But let me tell you where I'm at now. <laughs> I made that decision, and things begin to turn. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen all at once, but it began to shift and begin to change. And, and where I'm at today is that when I die and go to heaven, 
I'm not just hoping that I see my dad in the other aisle of the store. I'm hoping that dad's house is next to mine. And I'm hoping that every day for all of eternity, I get to see my dad and go over and put my arm around my dad and hug on him and love him. Because we couldn't do that here. But I want to be with my dad forever and ever. And to express my love to him. I want to tell you, only God can do that. Only God can do that. Would you bow your head with me, please? I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And with your head bowed and eyes closed for a minute, I just want to ask you something. Is there anybody here while I've been preaching today You've had a picture in your, in your mind of somebody. And it's somebody that has betrayed you. Somebody that's hurt you deeply. Somebody that is maybe even dead to you. And while I've been preaching, you're like, I, I can't love that person. I'm not going to love that person. But right now, in the final moments of my talk to you, I'm wondering if there's anybody that would say, you know, this makes sense to me, and I'm going to choose to love that person that's unlovable to me. Understanding that once you say to yourself, I'm going to make that decision to love that person, that God will help you, like he helped me, and that you're going to be obedient to God, and you'll start to be set free from all that junk from the past. And you can go to bed tonight, laying there, and say to yourself, I don't have one thing against anybody on the planet. With your head bowed, and please, nobody looking around. I'm just, I want to ask, if there's anybody that would make that decision, and just stand to your feet, and let me pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll not call out your name. I'm not going to ask any, you to move from your seat. But just wonder if there's anybody here that's going to say, I'm making that decision, and I'm trusting God to help me because I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to exercise my will. And remember, love is best demonstrated by action, and the action I'm suggesting is that you just stand to your feet. All right? Sure. Sure. All I'm going to do is, I'm just going to pray for you. I won't embarrass a single person. You have have my word. I just want to pray for those that are going to stand. Thank you for standing. Thank you for standing. Anybody else wants to just, just stand to your feet? You're making the decision. This is a very, very good thing. Sure. Remain standing, and I want to pray for you. And then when I'm done praying, I'm going to ask the rest of you to stand. So let let me pray for those that have stood. Father, we know that this is a...
Holy Spirit moment that you have spoken to people here today about this idea of loving the unlovable. And lo and behold, here we are this morning. These people that are standing today, they've responded in a positive way. And they're, they're saying, I'm going to make that decision to love the unlovable, to love that person that has hurt me deeply. Now, Lord, we confess we can't be successful in this without your help. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that for these people that have stood obediently to your word and they want to love the unlovable, Lord, would you help them do that? Give them the strength, the grace, the power, and, of course, the love that they need. Help them by exercising their will to make a difference in their lives, set them free from the pain and hurt of the past. Father, we know that it might take a while, but here they are, being obedient to you. So it might be, Father, that knowing now that true love is best expressed by action, maybe someone standing will need to make a phone call today or send an email today or do something. But Lord, we confess our inability to love deeply at this level without your help. Bring the help each person needs today. I invite the rest of you to stand while we pray. Father, what a moment it has been here today to think about your unconditional love for us and your call for us to love the same way. All of us, Father, Certainly me. We need your help today to keep our decision to love everyone. Thank you for this wonderful congregation, this wonderful group of people that have listened so kindly and attentively today. Make us people who love you and love others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.